You know, it's not. I don't think it's free. <clears throat> Just another a word on the missions conference. Actually, you don't have a bunch of different people who went to strange places. You have a bunch of strange people who went to different places. It's just a matter of how you want to look at it and consider it. <laughs> hey, I want to try to get some interaction here. We'll have a, maybe some time where we can talk about some things, discuss some things. And uh, But I heard a great story that there's always a danger in asking questions of anyone. Because regretfully, when you do that, you actually give them a chance to share what's on their mind, which is always a dangerous thing. But, but the other thing is when you ask questions, there's, there's a danger, and, and here's basically how it works. There's a story that's a, that's a true story. It's a story of, of a lion that went about the jungle trying to reinforce that he was the king of the jungle. And they do this all the time. And so this lion got up one day and he said, you know, I just want to make sure everybody understands who's the boss, who's in control. So he went throughout the jungle, and uh, he started to ask some questions. So he went up to the rhinoceros. He said, Mr. Rhinoceros, just want to ask you, who is the king of the jungle? Who's the king of the forest? And the rhino thought and said, well, uh, you are Mr. Lion. The lion roared, walked away, kind of smiling, strutting his stuff. You know, went on, you know, went out to the panther, said, Mr. Panther, who is the king of the jungle? panther went, wow, you are. Mr. Lion, the lion, rah, yeah, that's right, that's right. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. So he goes over to the, to the elephant. He goes, Mr. Elephant, who is the strongest beast in all of the jungle, the king of the forest? And the elephant looked at him, thought for a second, picked that lion up in its trunk, smashed him to the ground, went, boom, boom, smashed him to the ground, kicked him a couple of times, smacked him into a tree, picked him up and threw him out into a lake. The lion comes all battered and bruised. He comes crawling back up and he looks at the elephant and said, Listen, you, just because you don't know the answer, that's no reason to get so upset. <laughs> so I'm going to ask you some questions. Now, there's some danger there. There's a danger that you may not know the answer, but I already understand that and I'm, really take, I'm willing to take the chance, okay? Here, here's the question. Are you ready for the question? You ready for the question? All right, now we want to get some input here. Let me ask you this question. And I deliberately chose this particular session to end the time that we have together before the mission conference started because it kind of ties everything that we've been talking about together to some degree. And that is, the question for the day is this. Is it possible, do you believe that it's possible for a Christian ever to stop being a Christian? And that's a, that's a, that's a more simplified way of saying do you believe it's possible for a Christian to ever lose their relationship with God? Do you believe that's possible? We're talking a little bit about it. I want to kind of set it up, and I'll tell you why. Because it's critical that we understand it. Because we've gone through this whole process of talking about how do you hang, hang in there in a world that's against the things of God. We're outnumbered. We're going to be tested on a regular basis. We're going to be tempted to do things that aren't pleasing to God. And regretfully, sometimes we're going to do those things. And it's critical to understand that as it goes along with our relationship with God. Because here's what I found that happens. Particularly at a, at a younger point in our walk with God. And that is this. Somebody around you will do something that really let you down. And you begin to question whether they really are a Christian. Because Christians don't do those things. 
And we'll start to struggle with that. And we'll start to wonder about that. Or make it more personal. You may do something. And you go, man, am I really a Christian? I mean, because I just did what I said I would never do. And I did that. Does that make me not a Christian anymore? See, it becomes very, very, very... You talk about real life? I mean, this is real life. This is right where it's at. Because I give you an example. Because if I, if I believe that I could lose my salvation, my relationship with God, if I, be, if I believe that I could lose that, then I lost it Thursday night. Do you ever try to change a sink? <laughs> huh? All right, some of you, maybe it's like you try to change your oil or something, work on your car. You ever do that? You ever like smack your knuckle on something? And just like say, praise the Lord. Hallelujah, Jesus. Oh, praise, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Yes, indeed. You know, you ever do that? You ever work on something like that? Man, I'm like, I'm under the sink. I don't know why. Well, I know why, because the sink didn't work. So we need a new sink, right? But I'm under this thing, putting this faucet in, going, I can handle this. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I know I can do this. I mean, like I've, I've met plumbers. They're not that bright. I mean, and I even got ready for it. I even pulled my pants down to about here. Got that, crack up. Got that thing. Got, got the toolbox out, man. Hey, Mac the crack. Here we go. Got underneath there. You know, I was going to fix it. I was going to fix it. I know I was going to fix it. That's why I started to do it, right? You know? And I got under there, and things just weren't going right. And I was getting really frustrated. Then I figured out whose fault it was. It was my wife's. (laughs) That's why you have them. I mean, that's why you get married, you know? Somebody to blame, you know? You can only blame the dog for so much, so you decide you got to get married and have kids, so that when your wife says, don't you blame that on me, we can say, good, we'll blame it on the kids. (laughs) So we kind of work these things out. But it was like, man, I was so frustrated. I was just like, absolutely. There wasn't a thought in my mind that glorified God. And it was like, but, but what was good was it took an hour and 30 minutes to get to that point. And it used to just take like 30 seconds. So I'm growing. I'm learning. See, I'm making some progress there. And it was so funny because by, by like an hour and 30 minutes later, and after I had put one in and that thing didn't work right, and she went back to Home Depot where they tell you anybody can do anything, you know, because we'll help. <laughs> You know, so anyway, and then she came back with another one. I put the other one in and then I forgot, well, the new one that we put in, we had the soft water and there was this extra hose. It was just hanging underneath there, nowhere to hook up. So it's still hanging there and I'm calling a plumber. <laughs> so, but, but it was like, man, I was just like an hour and a half later. I was just like going like this. I hate this, man. I can't believe it. So if I believe you can lose your relationship with God, I think I came close on Thursday night. Now, let me ask you a little more serious question. What do you think would do it? What do you think would just really take God off enough that he said, Hey, hang it, man. I don't want to see you for all of eternity. I can't even stand looking at you for right now. What do you think it would do? What do you think it would be? Anything? Any idea? Blaspheming the Holy Spirit. Okay, blaspheming the Holy Spirit. We'll talk about that. Which is basically just saying, Jesus isn't God. I don't believe it. I deny that. What else would take him off? See, here's what, here's what I struggle with. See, before we do certain things, we think that would be the thing. Would it be lying? 
Would it be stealing? Would it be, uh, you know, if you're married, having an affair? Would it be having sex outside of marriage? Would it be uh, envy? How about murder? That'd probably do it. Would that do it? Man. See, what would do it? What would just set God off to the point where He'd want nothing to do with us anymore? Those are really, I mean, those are, those are questions that need to be addressed. Because it'll help you keep in focus what this, what, what this book teaches about our relationship with God. This will be one of the most important things you ever learn. If you learn it right now and you, and you, and you realize this, it'll, it'll free you up for the rest of your life. It really will. And so what I'm going to talk about, a couple things. And the first thing I want you to realize is this. <clears throat> can you ever lose your relationship with God? Can you ever lose your salvation? Here's three things, okay? Three facts that you have to consider. These, these are critical. And here's the way it works. When I'm talking right now, I'm talking about a person who has genuinely come into a right relationship with God. That, that has come into a right relationship with God. Now, let me clarify what that means. The Bible says the only way that, you're, that you and I will ever be right with God is if we're, quote, born again. John chapter 3, God went to Jesus at night and said, Hey, what do I got to do to get into heaven? And Jesus said to him, Unless a man is born again, he shall never see the kingdom of God. Unless you're born again, you will never get into heaven. Now, the problem is, we don't even know what that means anymore in our culture because there's st bumper stickers and garbage, you know, born again, you know, I'm a born again Christian. It's like, what, what is that supposed to mean? That's redundant. Because the only way you become a Christian is if you're born again. So there's no sense to say I'm a born again Christian as opposed to what? You know, another kind of Christian? There's no other kind of Christian. So what we need to do is understand that this is what the Bible teaches. And this will be very important as we look at it. Now, what I want to do is, everybody has an idea about everything. Well, I think that, you know, if I did this, boy, that would do it. Or I think if he did that, or he did do that, and I think that did it. Or what that means is maybe he's really not a Christian because of what he just did. Because not a, no Christian would do what they just did. Oh, okay, really? See, what would do it? And so, what we've got to do is just look and see what the Bible says. How does a person become a Christian? This is the testimony. You know what that means? That God is swearing on Himself. You know, you go into court or you watch TV, it says, Do you solemnly swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but truth to help you, God? Right? You're swearing on a higher authority. God is your witness. But in this case, since it's in the Bible, God's saying this. This is my testimony. We're saying, you know, it would be like somebody saying, you know, the bailiff going up to God said, God, do you solemnly swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth so help you? You. <laughs> there you go. I do. That's what he said. So that's what he's saying. God is swearing to you and me. This is the, the, the truth from God. He's swearing upon himself, who is the highest authority in the universe. Nobody higher than him. Here's what he's saying. This is the testimony of God. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. You know how many people there are in the world as far as God is concerned? Two. Two types of people. We all come packaged in a variety of different shapes, colors. We all have different backgrounds. We all have different, you know, history. But he's saying there's only two types of people in God's eyes. 
Which is a wonderful truth, because we got all kind of labels, right? But God says there's only two kind of people. There's one who has eternal life, and there is one who does not have eternal life. That's it. That's the way it is. And that's it. God's no respecter of persons. All he identifies is two types of people. Either in or you're out. Either a saint or you ain't. You got it? Simple as that. And so, now here's some questions. You answer these, okay? You tell me. Who has eternal life? Who has a relationship with God for all of eternity? Who? Who? Okay, see what it says? God has given us eternal life. How can we get it? Well, the life's in His Son. Well, he who has the Son has life. Has what kind of life? Temporary life? Eternal life. Now, here's a question. You're all college students, so I know I can ask this in full confidence that you'll give me an answer. I try to ask some of your folks. They went, da, da. Now, I know you won't because you're in college. How long is eternity? Da. Huh? How long is eternity? Huh? Forever. And ever, 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 and even then some more. That's how long eternity is, right? I mean, you want to hurt your head? Think about that. Just go, how long is eternity? See, now what most of us don't understand, and me, you know, having studied Greek to some degree, actually pulling out a expository dictionary of biblical works, <laughs> came up with this. I'm convinced this is how long Greeks thought eternity was. That's a long time. That's it. That's a long time. That's what it means in Greek. Long time. <laughs> See, you know, don't ever be intimidated by people who throw that stuff out. Well, you know, in the original Greek, oh, shut up. What, you go to school and now you got to use it on us? Cut me a break. I just ask, hey, how long's long? Long is long. How long's long? Long is long. Long is long time. All right? It's a long time. It's like, Forever. <laughs> now, let me ask you a question. If you have eternal life, now, don't, don't let me lose you here. Now, if you have eternal life, how long do you have it for? <laughs> what? Is that a trick question? Think about how simple this is for a second. How long do you have it? If you've got eternal life, how long do you think you got it? Forever and ever 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 for a long time. Forever. Now, you know, sometimes this is so ridiculous about some of the things that we make difficult. But if God says, I have eternal life because I have the Son and I have and I have eternal life for eternity, which is eternal life, otherwise it would have been. And this is a testimony. God has given us temporary life. You know? Is that what he says? Absolutely not. And you know how we get it? Check this out. Here's how we get it. This is good stuff. It says this. He saved us, not because of righteous things that we have done, but because of His mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us generously, through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by His grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. How'd you get it? If you got it. And if you don't have it, how are you going to get it? So that takes care of everybody. 
If you got it, how'd you get it? If you don't have it, how can you get it? How'd you get it? By what? By His mercy. You see what it says? You ever talk to people and say, man, you know what? I just got to clean up my act, boy. You know, I can't come to church or I can't really, you know, I, I really can't come to God because, man, I got to clean up my act. You know, I'm doing some things that I know He wouldn't approve of. And, man, I just can't, you know, man, 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 man. Say what? What, what do you got? Wow, well, I got these things, man. I got to clean. Hey, wait a minute. You don't understand. You're in perfect position to come to God. Because it's not by anything you could do. See what it says? He saved us not because of righteous things that we have done. See, now here, here let me just explain something to y'all, okay? That's for my southern friends, y'all. You're not right with God because you come to church. You're not right with God because you read your Bible. You're not right with God because your parents are Christians. You're not right with God because you do good things, whatever you think they are. You're not right with God because you walked down an aisle or because you said a prayer or because you signed a card or because you affiliated somehow or another with some kind of religious organization who does what they think are good things. You're not right with God for any of those things. You do not be, enter the kingdom of God. You do not enter God's family any other way but by being born again. Which means coming to the point where you receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. I believe that He's God. I believe He died for my sins. I believe He proved He was who He claimed to be because He rose from the dead. I believe that in my heart. See, if you believe it in your heart, see, that's the bottom line. Is God knows our heart. So I asked a guy one day, I said, you know, the guy said, hey, anybody want to receive Jesus Christ? Guy in the back of the room. Got up, came walking down the aisle. At what point was he born again? When he got down front and he shook the minister's hand? When he knelt down and said the prayer? When they passed the, the response cards and he said, boy, you know, I, I prayed the prayer. I, you know, put a little pee in the corner there, you know. We'll have somebody call you and get back to you. When? When did that happen? When he stood up. Is that right? How many say when he stood up? Oh, how many say when he was still sitting still? How many say whenever God saw his heart that he said, I want, I want you? I need you. See, we don't have to, see if, we, if, it, if it took standing up, then that's a righteous work. Because I stood up. Well, when he prayed the prayer? Absolutely not. Because the prayer doesn't do it. And if a prayer did, it would have this magic prayer. Pray this prayer. Dear Jesus, I want you. See, it's not the words. It's not the prayer. If that was what it is, and all that people would have to do is, Oh, Lord, I want you in my heart. Amen. Now let's go party. Got it covered. Got it all worked out. See, it's not that. It's not the prayer. It's not anything. It's not coming up. It's not standing up. It's nothing. It's when a person's heart is right before God and they're broken before God and said, Lord, forgive me for my sins. Even the words aren't important because God knows the heart. We don't have to say it. But we do say it and that's okay. And there's outward expressions of what's happened in our heart and that just helps the rest of us see what's going on in somebody else's life. But God already knows it. And this is real important because it's not by any work that we did, because if it's by any work that we did, then it would be a work that we did again or don't do that would somehow eliminate the life that God has given us. You follow what I'm saying? This is critical. And it's what he says. Well, wait a minute. It's not by anything that we've done, but because of God's mercy. Ephesians 2.8.9 says, By grace you're saved through faith, not of yourself. 
It's a gift from God, lest anybody would ever brag about their relationship with God. You are no better than me. I am no better than anybody else. The only reason that I have eternal life is because God has spared me and shared His mercy with me and has poured out His grace so that I could even respond to Christ's love. I don't even have the ability to do that if it wasn't for the mercy of God. I can't come to him on my own and say, you know, I've been reading up on this Christianity stuff and I've been talking to some friends and I'd like to sign up for that there, God, would you please? <laughs> See, I can't even do that. I mean, if God doesn't move my heart and the Holy Spirit doesn't convict me of my sin before God, I can't even respond to his love and forgiveness. So it's all of God. God does it all. And that's real important to understand. Now, here's why. Because we're talking about having an eternal relationship with God versus what, what I call temporary carnality. You know what temporary carnality is? What, what's it mean to be carnal? So like, does it have anything to do with like popcorn man? No, that's kernel. It's a little different thing. And it's not, it has nothing to do with chicken either. What does it mean to be carnal? Yeah, okay, good. Living in the flesh. That, that always, that, that's a good start. Now, now, my problem is, you know, I, I've never taken a course on Christianese. See, you know how that is. Like, you ever been somewhere where people are talking a language, you don't have a clue what's going on? It's like, you know, I do my Rams Bible study, man. They'll be talking about this and that and all these different schemes and, and rotations and movements and, you know, different alignments. And the defense talks one language, the offense talks another language. And I sit there like, yeah, I know. Yeah. Well, so, uh, you know, they're like, man, I don't have a clue what they're talking about. They've got a whole language of their own. And it's different, you know, it's different in college, different in pro. I mean, every, every sphere of work or profession has their own language. And what happens in the church is that we have this Christianese. And the Christianese would be just something like that. Carnal. Well, what does that mean? I don't know. Well, okay, it means walking in the flesh. Well, what does that mean? I mean, because I've never had one of those out-of-body experiences, you know, like I've always had, when I walk, I walk in the flesh, man. I mean, it's just like, here it is. There it is. So I have never walked any other way. But it means something different in the Bible, right? What does it mean? Simplify it. What does it mean to you? <laughs> well, good, that's insulting. Huh? Well, simplify it to me. <laughs> no, I mean, you know what I mean. It's just you got to think. Some things you got to think, you know. Okay, now, okay. When, when a person is born again, they become a new person. Okay? Old things pass away, all things become new. The Bible says that the moment that you ask Christ in your life, you become a new person. You have a new nature. Okay? Now you've got this conflict. You've got this old nature, and now you've got a new nature. And the problem is the old nature you got pretty good at, you know, depending on how long it was before God gave you a new nature. You've got all these habits, you've got this lifestyle, you've got all these things that you're struggling with. So now, depending on how long you've been walking in that, quote, living that lifestyle, now you've got a new lifestyle to live. So the struggle now is that you've got this new nature that still wants to live the old lifestyle. Now here's how you simplify walking in the flesh. God says, tell the truth, you still want to lie. Okay? You follow this? God says, work and be honest, you still want to cheat and steal. Depending on how you look at that. Um, God says, to be angry about righteous things, you still get ticked off and flip people off on the freeway because they cut you off or whatever it is. You get angry about everything. You know, so it's like they've got this struggle there. Okay, so walking in the flesh or living that lifestyle is living a life that God says is no longer the lifestyle of a Christian. 
but is a lifestyle that is representative of a non-Christian. You get jealous, you get envious, you get petty, you backstab, you do all that stuff. Hey, that's all, what the, that's all uh, the lifestyle of a person who's never come to a relationship with God through Christ, doesn't have a new nature, doesn't know how to live. It's natural for them to live like that, okay? So what we're talking about here is eternal security and not you know, temporal carnality. And here's, and here's the problem. The Bible clearly teaches that the moment, see, here's, the moment that you say, Lord, I, I need you. And I believe that Jesus died for my sins. And, and, the, and the Word of God says at that moment you're born again. The moment that that happens, you're not instantly a mature Christian. You are a babe in Christ. You're a baby. You're like a newborn baby. You can't even take care of yourself. You still don't even know how to think. You don't know how to walk. You don't know how to eat. You don't know what to do. You still crack your diapers. You know what I mean? That's just part of it. I mean, you're, you're, you, don't, you don't know. You're learning how to grow. And so what the Bible teaches is that, hey, wait a minute. Every one of us are going to be a different phase of our growth, though we're all going to be brothers and sisters in Christ. We're all part of the family of God if we've come to that right relationship with God through Christ. So now we're all in that family together. But some of us are still going to be crawling and others are going to be running and some of us can eat solid food and some of us still got to eat baby food and some of us are still on milk and some of us, you can't tell because they're outside. We're looking at people that may be 50 years old that are still drinking a bottle because they haven't grown spiritually. So it's not an age thing. I started teaching the class that I'm teaching 10 years ago, 8 years ago, and I was only 28 years old. I had 60-year-old you know, people coming in saying, oh man, you know, and, and, and I, but I also had foolish people saying, well, what can I learn from that young guy? He doesn't know anything yet. Yeah, well, you're the ones that need to be here the most because obviously you haven't really identified what the Bible has to say by growing up. So sit down, shut up, and listen for a while. And it's not because I know it, but it's because that's what the Bible teaches. It's very simple. You just stick to the text, and I don't have to ever worry about going out on a limb on anything. So, and you say, wait, some of you are still babies. Some of you are going to do things that are typical of babies, okay? So, what we're talking about is, does that separate our relationship with God if you poop your diapers? Now, here's why I'm saying this. I mean, there's a very simple reason. I've got three kids. Mom, my wife and I have three kids. Tried to do it on my own, but just didn't work out. I don't know what it was. <laughs> Knew I should have spent more time in biology. But anyway, so anyway, we got three kids, right? My kids will always be my kids forever. They're the ones God gave us. They're the ones that are going to be in our family forever. Now, whether I like what they do, whether they're obedient, whether they're disobedient, whether they're rebellious, whether they love me or they hate me that day, are never going to change whether they're my kids because they've been born into my family. Now listen to this. It doesn't matter whether you're rebellious before God, whether you poop your diaper, whether you're walking in obedience, whether you're living a life that pleases Him. If you are one of His kids, you will always be one of His kids. And nothing that you ever do or don't do will ever separate you from that reality. When you're a child of God, when you're born into His family, you are in His family forever. For all of eternity. Man, I'll tell you what. And, that, and that's good news to me. Because you know what basically it boils down to? It boils down to this. 
It's focusing on what God has done for us and not on what we've done for God. See, but God demonstrates His love for us and yet while we were sinners, Romans 5.8, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, that, that's really what it's all about. While I'm a sinner, I couldn't clean up my act. I couldn't change. I couldn't do anything. Right the way that I was, the Bible says in Luke 19.10 that Jesus came to seek and to save that which was lost. See, we love because He first loved us, First John. What is that saying? It's saying that God's initiating all of it. That God is coming for you. That He's coming to you. He doesn't sit on His throne and wait for you to come begging and crawling to Him saying, Hey, you know, please forgive me. I need, you know, I need, no, hey, you know what? He is running to you. He is reaching out for you. He's putting people in your life that are, that are telling you how much He loves you. He is surrounding you by His love. He's giving you opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And He loves you and He wants you to know that. And He loves you just as you are. And Christ died for you just the way you are. Just the, for the things that you're doing and struggling with. And that's just the way that it is. It's hard to understand it and it's hard to realize what's going on. But that's what he says. Now, here's, here's, the, here's the deal. Let me ask you this question. Here's the question that needs to be asked. And it's very simple. Can God's work be undone? Yeah, you're laughing. You're waiting for me to fall off of here, aren't you? I just saw that, you know. It's like, yeah, it was good. Oh, it was false. Well, I'm not going to. I'm just going to catch a wave. So anyway, can uh, I'm going to hang, hang, hang five or four. Can't get that little one over there. But uh, can, can, let me ask you, can God's work be undone? Can God's work be undone? No. Okay, you follow? You, follow? you follow? Here, here, here's, here it is right here. Here's the statement. Let's go through it. If, if my security and my relationship depends on what God's done for me through Christ, then... Various works of God would have to be undone or reversed for me to ever lose my relationship with Him. And wouldn't that be in the Bible? I think so. Now, here's, here's the question. What, is he, what has He done for me? What has God done for you? What has He done for you? Okay, Christ died on the cross. Alright, here's what he, Hebrews 10 says, that He died once for all, for all time. Okay, you, you, listen, listen to what's going on here. See, for you to ever lose your relationship with God, you know what he'd have to say to you? I changed my mind. Christ really didn't die for you for all of eternity. I really didn't forgive your sins. And not only that, but just because you have the Son, hey, I'm taking back the eternal life I gave you. But then again, then I stop and think, well, that's pretty stupid because if he gave me eternal life, eternal life is for all of eternity. So he'd have to say, well, I changed my mind and I'm taking it back. But I can't change my mind because I'm God. And, and I can't lie because I'm God. And there's no darkness in God at all. And everything that he says is truth. So if he says that he gave you eternal life, he's given you eternal life for all time. And what basically it boils down to is if you would ever, to lose that relationship, since it's all based on what God has done, then God would have to be the one to undo it. And nowhere in the Bible will you find one verse or one passage that says that God changed his mind. Nowhere. He says it, he did it. You know, I was thinking of this morning that um, 
Why is it so hard, hard for us to believe God when He says something? And I, I think I figured it out. Because we always lie to each other. And I can't believe a thing that you say. And you can't believe a thing that I say. Because you say you're doing something or you're not doing something, then I find out you are doing something, and then what you tell me isn't true, so I can't really believe what you're saying. And I want to just challenge you to think about that for a moment. Do you realize how much, more, how much easier it would be for your friends to believe our God if what you said to them was true? And when you said you'd be somewhere, you'd be there. And when you said you'd do something, you would do something. And how much easier it would be to believe God when He says what He says if we would surround ourselves by people who were honest in their communication with us. See, we have a hard time believing God because we can't believe each other. And so because we blow smoke at each other, we think God blows smoke at us too. Well, I mean, God said it, but He didn't really mean it because, you know, I say stuff and I don't really mean it. So you want to talk about real life and practical? Let me just tell you this. You be a man or a woman of your word. You have integrity. If you say you're going to do something, then you do it. If you say you're going to be somewhere, then you're there. If you say it's a certain time, then be there. If you get hung up or you're caught up and you're, whatever happens, that better be the exception and not the rule to your life. And you get on the phone and you call ahead and you say, Hey, I'm sorry, I'm running a little bit late. But make it the exception and not the rule. You be a man or word of your word. And you know what will happen? then people begin to realize that you're telling them the truth. And they can depend on what you say. And then when you start to share with them well, what God has to say, it's going to be a lot easier for them to believe what God has to say. Because we're reinforcing truth in our life. And man, I, you know, I stopped thought about that. I said, you know what? I believe what God has to say. And if that's what He says, it doesn't matter whether I can believe anybody else or not. I believe what God says. And that is very simple is. If He gave me eternal life, then He gave me eternal life. And if eternity is forever, then it's forever. And if He doesn't tell me that He took it back, then He didn't take it back. And if He tells me I've got it, I've got it. And that's as simple as it gets. And if He tells me that He gave it to me and it wasn't based on anything that I did, then I realize that, guess what? I can't do anything to mess it up either. My kids had nothing to do with being born into our family. Absolutely nothing. And they can't do anything to unborn themselves. They're in the family. They may not like it sometimes, as we don't sometimes. Sometimes we don't like what God has to say about something. He says, son, he says, daughter, don't do that. We say, hey, well, I'm going to do it anyway. We're no different with our own parents. We're no different in our own families. Sometimes our folks say, don't do something. We say, well, well yeah, tell me not to. I'll show you. I'm going to do it. That's immaturity. That's foolishness. Because we carry that same thought over to God. God, you can't tell me I can't do this. I'm going to do it. And I'm going to have fun doing it too. You just watch and see. And God's like, yeah, you watch and see. You know, we'll see. You know how that is. It's the old test of the wills. Well, we'll see who gets their way. So, you know, you go through it. And the Bible is just so filled with promises that once you are in God's family, you are in God's family. And let me, let me just read a couple to you. You don't even have to just listen to them. 1 Corinthians 12, 13. For by one Spirit we are all baptized into one body. In the body of Christ. By one Spirit we're all baptized into one body. Okay? Nowhere ever does it say anywhere in the Bible that if you don't do certain things that you'll be dismembered from the body. 
Never says it. He goes on in chapter 12, talks about, you know, some's an eye, some's a foot, some's this, some that. All the different gifts that God has given us so that we blend into the body of Christ. Never says, if you, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to chop that toe off. Never says it. Anywhere. It says this, Ephesians 1.13. In Him, in Christ, you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in Him with the Holy Spirit of promise. It says that you were sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. The day that Christ comes back and we get a new body. We were sealed for that day. You know what the word means? It means it's a down payment. It says He's given us the Holy Spirit into our life as a down payment for the promise that He has to finish the transaction. He is going to follow through. That's why in Philippians it said, He who began a good work in you will perfect it until the day of Christ. If you're born in the family of God, God has never given up on you. He will continue to perfect you until the day of Christ. He has sealed you for all of eternity. It means that no one can break that seal. Nobody. You can't. I can't. No one can't. God has sealed us. He has gave us kind of the stamp of approval. For all of eternity, we're His kids. In John 6, this guy came up to Jesus one day and he said, Hey, what do I got to do to get in heaven? Kind of like what Nicodemus said in John 3. He said, Hey, what do I got to do? You know, give me a list. Give me ten things or whatever. Give me a list of stuff. And you know what he said? Jesus said this. You know what? Wait a minute. The only works that you've got to do is to believe on him whom God has sent. Believe in me. That's all that he said. So why don't I have to do ten things? No. You have to do eight things? No. All you do is believe in me. And you will be in heaven. After that's done, then I'll teach you how to live your life. Then we'll deal with how to live while you're here on earth. How to bring glory to God in everything that you do. How to live a life that's pleasing to God. How to live a life not in the old nature of the flesh, but to live a life in the new nature, in the spirit of God, pleasing Him. You follow that? The Bible's filled with it. John chapter 10. Hey, he, he, my, my sheep, they hear my voice. And I know them and they know me. And every one of them that the Father has given me, I shall hang on to them and in no ways ever cast them out. They are mine for all of eternity. He'll never lose them. He'll never lose us. No one can come and take us away from God. Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says this, There is now no condemnation, no guilt for those who are in Christ. The end of that chapter, it says, What shall separate us from the love of God? Shall famine, shall peril, shall nakedness, shall persecution, shall strife? Shall any of these things ever separate us from the love of God that's in Christ? He said, Nothing shall ever separate us from the love of God within Christ. Again, we go back and we look at the Greek, and what's nothing mean? Nothing means no thing and nothing. You know, it's like, what's all mean? All means all. How many is all? All is all. How many is that? All. All right, good, good. Now we're catching on. See, nothing is nothing. So, He will never, ever, nothing will ever separate us from the love of God that's in Christ, okay? Now, let me ask you some questions and we'll go through this and kind of wrap it all up. If that's all true, and I believe it is, and I believe the Bible is really clear in, in, as far as teaching it, then why do some of us still doubt? And this is where we get into some real practical stuff. I want to lay a foundation. I want to deal with each one of us where we live. Why do some people still doubt? Here's some reasons. Number one, because there's some passage in the Bible that would indicate that maybe it's possible to somehow lose that relationship with God. And I'll be upfront with you. There are some passages that when you first read it, you go, whoa, it sounds like, you know, I can lose my salvation. It sounds like if I keep on sinning willfully, there's no longer hope for me. All right? Interesting. Here's a little help in understanding what the Bible teaches. 
Whenever you read the Bible, always interpret the passage in the verse in the context in which it was written. Give me an off-the-wall thing. John 11.35, shortest verse in the Bible. It says, Jesus, Jesus wept. I had a guy come up to me one time and say, Jesus was, was a wimp. I said, what? He said, yeah, you know, that's Jesus you talk about. He was a wimp. I said, why? I said, because, I, you know, I read one time in the Bible, it says, Jesus wept. What? I said, yeah, well, where was he weeping? Well, I don't know. Well, don't you think it had anything to do with why he was weeping? Why was he crying? Well, I don't know. Well, let me tell you why. Why was he crying? You tell me. Why was he crying? Yeah, because Lazarus died. It was John chapter 11. The context of the passage was very simple. Is it a funeral? Gee, I guess, you know, you're a real wuss if you, if you cry at a funeral. You know, and, and it's one of your best friends that died, man. I mean, gee whiz. You know what I'm saying? That's like, hey, wait a minute. What's the context of the passage? Jesus wept. Now, was he a wuss or was he compassionate? Yeah? Was he a wimp or did he love the man? Was he a wimp or was he, was he concerned about the family and what was going on and the hurt and the anguish that sin and death brought into the world? See, he looks at it and says, he's a wimp. I look at it and say, you know, we've got a God who's compassionate and a God who loves us. So whenever you run into one of these problem passages, what I'm saying very simply is this. Read it in the context in which it was written. To the people in which it was written, to the problems that they were addressing, and then read that context, and then see if it doesn't make a lot more sense to you. So as we look at that, try to keep that in mind, alright? Here's the second thing. Wrong living. Wrong living. And let me just explain to you why I think this is a problem. I believe there have been people who have taught that you can lose your relationship with God because they're afraid that by telling people that once they're born into the family of God, there's nothing they could ever do that will separate them from the love of Christ. That it gives us liberty to live any way that we want to live. See, and that's sad. And that's sad. I'll tell you why. Because you get people, you know, using their, quote, intellect again trying to think around what God has to say so that they can keep us all in line to make sure we live a life that's pleasing to God. See, so if I say to you, hey, guess what? You know what? You keep living like that. I don't know whether you're going to heaven or not. That's wrong. That's wrong. Instead of questioning whether that person is going to heaven or not, I need to be saying, hey, look, you know what? You keep living like that and God's going to discipline you because He loves you. And as one of His children, and you're always going to be one of His kids for all of eternity. That's what the Bible says. You're going to be one of His kids. But if you keep living like that, I'll guarantee you He's going to get out the stick, man, and just, just whack your butt good. That's true. That's true. I'll give you an illustration. My son is great. We had this paddle. This guy made me this paddle one time. The guy I worked with, and this is like the coolest thing. He came walking in one day. He says, hey, you know, well, and at the time, I never, we never really had any problems. He's like, well, your kids are getting to that age. You're going to need this. I said, thank you very much. Took it home, showed everybody. Hey, look what I got today at the office, you know. And like all the kids are like, I don't get it, Dad. It looks like it's a little too big for a ping pong paddle, you know. What is that? So anyway, so we use this thing. You know, we used this thing when it was necessary, but my son was great. So here's what would happen. 
And I always sent them to get it because that would give me a chance to regroup. Oh, cruel, cruel, you know. But I, it always gave me a chance to regroup, you know, kind of calm down a little bit. It's like, okay, hey, Ryan, go get the paddle. They just get this look and they go, Oh, it's done! Oh, there's a paddle! Oh, there's a paddle! And they got to start backing up to the wall. They just do that. That's what they do, man. They just be like this. Well, gee, you know, why did he say that? Because he had experienced the joy. The joy of discipline. The joy of discipline. He's experienced it. And the boy said, Oh, the paddle, the paddle. So he'd go get the paddle. Then he'd bring the paddle back in. And then we'd sit and we'd talk. And you know what his next question was? Am I going to get a hard one? Yeah. Is there going to be a hard one? See, discipline is not fun. I've, I mean, I've seen that in my own life. I've seen it with my kids. They don't get all excited about it. And you know what's so funny is that, you know, it's like, Praise the Lord, Dad. You're doing what you're supposed to do. Thank God. I love you. I love you. Thank you for God for giving me this dad who's now going to whoop on my butt. Thank you very much. I deserve it. I was out of line. I've been repentant spirit, and I'm turning from it, but I deserve this little whooping right now. So thank you, dear Jesus. Amen. Go ahead, Dad. Let me have it. Let me just bend over the bed here for you. No problem. <laughs> never had that happen. You know, I don't know what the deal is, but it just never happened. And, uh, but hey, but that was part of the process, right? It was discipline. Now, now we have two girls. Now the youngest girl, she like weighs like nothing. And always we know that it's hers because there's like a dress walking into the room. Like, you know, sometimes it's like, there comes a dress. Yeah, Krista must be in there somewhere, you know. So she's like, she kinda, that's how we know she's there. Well, but she's great. Because I say, okay, get the paddle. Oh, Dad, I am so sorry. <laughs> I know what I did was wrong. I've repented from my evil ways. And I've turned back to the light. And it was like, you know, and she'd always be broke, man. I mean, she'd just break. As soon as she was busted on anything, she'd just break. Now, was I going to whoop on her the same way that I was going to whoop on my son? He was going, hey, man, I didn't do anything wrong. It was her fault. She did it. You know, one of those kind of things, right? Now, am I going to discipline them the same? Ain't no way. No way. They're different. Everybody's different. We're all different. And do I have the freedom to do that? I certainly do. Do I have the freedom to choose whether it's going to be a hard one or an easy one? I have the freedom to choose whether it will be any at all. And sometimes it was like, you know, if the conversation was pretty good and I was feeling a little graceful and a little merciful, I'd just like bend them over and say, okay, you know what? I don't think today that I'm going to spank you. Because I believe that you learned the lesson. And I believe that that's exactly what God does for us in our life sometimes too. Sometimes we blow it. And sometimes we need paddled big time. And He'll do that. Sometimes we blow it. And we say, Lord, man, I can't believe I did that. And He'll say, you know what? I think I'll go light on the discipline this time. And He'll do that too. But let me tell you something. Knowing... And you know what's so funny is? And every Friday I didn't review with my kids whether we're going to keep them the next week. You know what I mean? We didn't sit down on Friday and say, you know, let's just go through the week here. 
Well, you did okay in this area and you didn't do too good in that area. Yeah, but you did okay. Overall, I'll give you a C plus. We'll keep you next week. But next Friday, we're going to decide. So if you act up, you may just be well on the road out of here. We're going to have to let you go. After all, things are getting tough economically. We're in a recession. I'll have to let two of you go. You know what? That never happened. We never did that. I can't, I can't let them go. It doesn't matter whether they're living at my house or whether they're somewhere else. They're always going to be my kids for all of eternity, into, into eternity. See, you see what I'm saying? See how simple this is? See, God doesn't sit down and review your life every week and decide whether He's going to let you have that eternal life He gave you when you came to know Christ or revoke it somehow. It's not based on your performance. It's not based on my performance. And you know what this teaches me? I can teach people that once you're a child of God, you're always a child of God. And you have the freedom, as in all freedoms, to abuse your privileges. But I'll tell you this, that God didn't let any of His kids go too long, go in their own direction, till He steps in and in a nice, loving way, whoops your butt. And I don't know anybody who's gone through the discipline of God at the time saying, Oh, thank you, God. I really appreciate this discipline. This feels so good. I know that you're there now. I know you love me. I know you care for me. Hit me harder. I don't know anybody who does that. But I know a lot of people have gone through the discipline of God. And after the fact, just like most of us as kids growing up, look back and say, Man, you know what? I had a dad that loved me. We got a God that cares for us. And he loves us. And He'll get you in order one way or the other. Because you know why? Because Hebrews 12 says that if you're a child of God, He loves you and disciplines you just like your dad did you. Just like your mom did you. He's going to do the same thing. So you don't have the freedom to do anything you want to do. You've got the freedom to go ahead if you want to. But it ain't going to be fun. Not for long. You're going to have consequences. But you're always going to be a child of God. And some of us are dumb enough to think the consequences won't be that big a deal. But that's just immaturity. You'll find out that it's not that much fun. And let me just I'll do the fourth one. The third one, it goes hand in hand. That's a misunderstanding of what it means to live a life that's not pleasing to God. We've already talked about that. But there are people that are doing it. And you know what I found? That people are living in disobedience to God. Here's the good news, bad story. People that are living in disobedience to God, they start to doubt whether they're really Christians or not. They're the ones that doubt whether they're Christians or not. They're the ones that start struggling with, man, am I really a Christian? Then why am I doing these things? And, but you know what that is? That's good too. You know why? Because the only people who ever worry about that are Christians who are being convicted by the Spirit of God in their life who's telling you, stop doing that. That's wrong. Because when I was a non-Christian and I had that old nature that we talked about, I never even thought about what I was doing if it was wrong or not. I just did it. And so the only people who really doubt whether they're going to heaven or not are the ones, most of the time, that are being convicted about the way they're living their life that are Christians that are going to heaven but are miserable here on earth because they're not doing what's right before God. So it's a real confusing good news, bad news story. The good news is, is that you can know. The bad news is, is that you will doubt when you're living in the disobedience. But that's good too. <laughs> so figure that all out. But the, the point is this. There's points in time where we feel like we're not worthy. How can God have forgiven me? How can God say I'm going to be with Him for all of eternity when I'm doing what I'm doing? How can God do that? I don't feel like I'm worthy. The prodigal son, he left his dad and he went and lived a life that was pleasing to himself. He was away for a period of time and the Bible doesn't tell us. It may have been a month, may have been a year, may have been ten years. We don't know. And he was living a life to please himself. And he was eating with the pigs. He was slopping with the hogs. And he was standing in a pig pen saying, Man, 
I can't believe this. Even my dad's servants eat better and live better than I do. And here I am. For a Jewish boy to be eaten with pigs is really a low blow. And you know what he did? The Bible says he came to his senses. And he realized he was wrong. And he said, i got to go back and ask my dad to forgive me. And he said this, I'm not worthy to be his son again. And I would have him treat me just as he treats any of his other servants. And that's better than what I've got going for me now. He felt he was unworthy. So he headed back home and he was going to ask for his forgiveness. And he had the speech all planned. Lord, you know, basically, Father, I'm not worthy for, for you to take me back in the house. What I did was wrong. I took all the money. I blew it on loose living and I screwed up. But man, I just want to take me back as a servant. You know what his dad did? His dad saw him coming. His dad was waiting for him and looking for him and waiting for him for I don't know how long. And his dad saw him coming up over the hill. And you know what his dad said? I'll make him come to me. That'll help teach him a lesson. I'm, I'll play with his mind a little bit. and Maybe, you know, eh, maybe I'll bring him home. Maybe I won't. Maybe I'll make him a servant. Maybe I'll just tell him to get lost. You know what? His dad didn't do any of that. You know what his dad did? His dad ran, ran down the road. And as he got to his son, his son started, Dad, I'm sorry. And he didn't even listen to what he said. He knew his heart. And he put his arms around him. And he hugged him. And he put a coat on him. And he took him back home. And he said, you know what he said to his brother and everybody else? He said, this son of mine was lost. And now he's found. He went his own way. But now he's finally come home. And you know what he said? This son of mine. He was always a son. When he was slopping with the pigs, he was still a son. And God was taking him through a discipline process. And let me tell you something, folks. God's going to discipline you too if you walk in disobedience. But the good news is, is that you'll always be his kid. And he's always going to be there for you. And he's never going to reject you. He's never going to turn his back on you. And we need to reinforce that in the lives of one another. Because some of us are going to do things and say things and let each other down. But that no way, shape, or form means that we're a Christian or not a Christian. It just means that we're frail human beings that sometimes make mistakes. But if we've come to know Christ, then we're, in a, we're a child of God for all of eternity. Because He who has the Son has life, and He has it forever. Do you have liberty to live any way you want? Sure. Would I recommend it? Uh-uh. Not at all. Ain't no fun. I mean, just remember my son. That's a battle, Dad! And that's why I want you to remember that, if nothing else. Because God will whoop on your butt. Let me close the story. True story. Golden Gate Bridge, 1937. Yeah, I remember it well. 1937. No, I don't remember. But Golden Gate Bridge, 1937. They're building the bridge. How many of you have ever seen the Golden Gate Bridge? At the time, world's largest suspension bridge, okay? They're building this bridge. They're divided into two phases. There was phase one, phase two. First phase, 22 guys fell off the bridge into the bay and died. Doesn't do a whole lot for production. You know what I'm saying? So all of a sudden, this thing is way behind production. The costs were going up $77 million in 1937 to build this thing. Production costs were skyrocketing. They were way off line as far as their budget was concerned. They weren't getting anything done because all these guys kept falling into the bay and dying. 
So they try to figure out, well, how are we going to get the second phase completed within budget and, and uh, try to make up for our losses on the first phase? So they devised a net. It was a net that went underneath the span. It cost them $100,000 to devise this net, this safety device. And you know what happened? On the second phase, 10 guys fell into the net. None of them got killed. None of them got seriously injured. They were bumped, they were bruised, and they had to change their shorts. <laughs> but they were still alive. And you know what? They increased the production on that second phase by 25%. Not one person lost their life. And the work went as it was designed to go. Why? Because it eliminated the fear of failure. It eliminated the fear of being hurt. And I just want to share this with you. I believe when you know by what the Bible says that you have a right relationship with God by accepting Jesus Christ, I believe if you know that that is for all of eternity, then it gives you the freedom to be more productive as a child of God. When you screw up, you screw up. 1 John 1, 9 is that big net underneath there. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the net. But you know what else I learned too? There wasn't any of those guys standing there saying, Hey man, let's dive down into that net. That looks like fun. Not one person dove down into the net. See, and what 1 John 1, 9 is, it's, a, it's like a, a first aid station in the road of life. Now, no, no one wants to drive off a cliff. But it's nice to know that when we do drive off the cliff, there's a first aid station there. 1 John 1, 9. God will bandage you up. He'll put you all back together. He'll get you back on the road. But I don't know anybody that jumps off a cliff because they know there's a first aid station at the bottom. And yet, for Christians, we go, Hey, man, I think I'll just jump off this cliff, man, because I think it'll be like a lot of fun, you know? Well, great. Well, I'll go down a couple times and you realize, Hey, man, I ain't jumping off any cliffs anymore because God knows what's best for me. And I think I'll just stay up here on the road, man, and, and, and enjoy this and be productive and enjoy my relationship with God that is secure for all of eternity. That's some good stuff, man. Let's pray. Father, thanks for this time that we could be together just for the truth of your word that uh, our salvation is based on what Christ did on the cross. One sacrifice for all of eternity. And that as we receive Him, as we invite Him into our life, as our hearts are right before You, You tell us that we're born again. That we're given a new nature. You tell us if any of us are in Christ, that all things pass away, all things become new. That we're new people. Have a new nature and new desires and a new reason to live. And that is to please You. Lord, may we always stay on the road or stay on the beam and not dive into the net. May we continue to walk in obedience, knowing there's nothing that we could ever do or nothing anyone else could do that could ever separate us from your love that's found in Jesus Christ. And we just thank you for that truth in his name. Amen.